Good evening and welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sandsbury. Oh, stressful well, Sundays. Stressful Sundays. Ah, but we're here, we're back. The technology has been fixed. And we have a show. Well, that remains to be seen. Um, so, uh, yes, we are here. Um, thank you very much for wrestling with the, te- with the technology, Simon. Um, so, um, unfortunately, Ben Swan couldn't make it tonight. He, um, he's not feeling very well. Um, but Simon was still glad to fight his way through the, the technical demons. We had different technical demons tonight that aren't related to me dusting the mixer. Um, and um, so, uh, yes, yeah, so a slightly different show, but a rerun of the one that we had to abort the week before last because basically tech was against us. So welcome back, Simon. Good evening, gentlemen, and how are you? I've got a little bit, le- well. little bit less hair now, but I'm fine. Yeah, there wasn't much spare in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so, so doing well, thank you. So, um, so with um, with Ben not being able to to make it, and it being um, you know, unfortunately, we weren't able to to round up a, a, a another conservative who wasn't available. But we do have one on hand. So here's one we prepared earlier. Here's one we prepared earlier. So we're going to slightly break the fourth wall. I'm sounding all artsy now. I'm going to break the fourth wall and put Ian on the other side of the metaphorical interview desk. I say metaphorical because we're all not in the same place. Um, so if you were on the other side of the desk I'm talking about, you'd be in my own suite, which you probably wouldn't want to be. So um, so in that respect, um, that will be an interesting angle because obviously Simon being the, um, the leader of the Portsmouth Conservatives on the Portsmouth City Council and Ian... Um, being a member of the Conservative Party in Portsmouth, so he has a uh, an angle and a view. To uh, I to have give. a view on most things, Simon. Really, you're so, normally so yeah, shy yeah. and retiring. It's so hard to get yeah. your opinion out of you normally. Yeah, yeah, but uh, but this evening, yeah, maybe you'll have to be nice to me this evening. Now I'm a guest, right? I'm going to sit in the guest chair and enjoy it. Well, just as long as you don't want any biscuits or tea, because like that's not happening either. So, um, <laughs> if Simon's not getting any after wrestling with all that tech. Um, then you know you'll have to bloody get your own. Okay, so um, so we shall uh, shall we shall we make a start then? Let's let's go for this. Okay, so so question uh, question one, um, and um, it's inevitable, isn't it? I guess. Uh, so did you see Boris's exit as inevitable, or was it unfair that his cabinet turned on him? I'll go to Simon first. Um. I think we were getting to that point where there was a degree of inevitability behind it because there was a a lot of noise and distraction around Boris with Partygate and a a variety of other things. It just kept drip, drip, dripping out there. But I think it was becoming a distraction to the policies, to be quite honest. Um, The strength at which the cabinet sort of uh, turned on him was somewhat surprising, I, I have to say. But... I think we are moving in that general direction with regards to Boris and uh, his time in number ten. Okay, so on on the on the cards, but it developed pretty quickly from something that seemed quite inevitable, I guess. Then I think these things generally do t- start to happen quite quickly. You know, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, it sort of happened within what twenty four, forty eight hours, if that. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that sort of didn't surprise me. Once one goes, it's like dominoes, really. Everybody uh, looking to to, uh, to turn on him and, and queue up, shall we say. But I think there was a degree of frustration. We certainly saw it on the doorstep in the, in the May elections um, with people fed up with the, with the antics surrounding Boris. Um, and, it, and it sort of got in the way of our, our local messages, which we thought were, were very strong ones. Indeed. Ian, what was your view? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think with, with Boris's exit, it's the conversations that you didn't get to hear about as much as the ones that you did. Um, for, firstly, I've all, during that whole process, I was always slightly um, quizzical as to, as to who was the person who had the drawer full of um, party gate information that they, they drip-fed into the media, probably from, you know, 
just after Christmas, and it, it was months of little bit of information. There was an element of, you know, respond to that. A little bit more information. Ah, yeah, what he said last time. Add some more detail. So, I think there was a whole. There was there was definitely something going on that was keeping Boris kind of front and center in terms of, you know, it, it not being a, a great look in terms of optics. And I think, you know, Boris has been the great survivor in terms of, you know, whatever had happened in the past. And, and you know, when the house finally came down, as Simon said, it came down very quickly. Um, but I think that, that, you know, that was, you know, the famous political drama House of Cards, I think couldn't have summed it up any better. You know, once it goes, it goes. And I think, I think there was very much an inevitability about it. Um, you know, once, once, once things started to go. So I know that many still feel that, that Boris was owed a great deal of loyalty, but I think, you know, that final straw when he sent, you know, senior ministers out to brief to say, no, I knew nothing. And then two days later I had to say, oh, apart from the briefing that I had had privately, I think at that point it, it, it was inevitable that he had to go. There was a lot of Duke of York briefing, wasn't there? You ride your troops up to the top of the hill to say one thing and then you ride them back down again the next day to basically wind back what you've told them to go and say honestly to um, to the media. So uh, so that happened again. So does that mean we've seen the last of him, do you think, or does that mean that he'll be back? It depends what you mean by he'll be back. I don't think we've seen the last of Boris, to be quite honest. Boris is, is Boris, as they say. I mean... Uh, whatever you might think he is, a very charismatic personality. I mean, I always go back to the London Olympics with him on a on a zip wire where he was waving the Union Jacks. I mean, you could have put any other politician in that particular scenario, and I don't think any of them would have come out of it as well as Boris did. It, mm. it, he does have a likability about him in that respect, um, and, and I don't think we've seen the last of him. Whether he, he uh, would come back as uh, prime minister or, or leader of the Conservative Party probably remains to be seen. Hmm. Yeah, I think I'm more sceptical. I, I, I think Boris will never go away. You know, Bor Boris, as you know, as Simon said, he's very charismatic. And, you know, if an old Etonian who quotes classics and Latin could get the red wall to turn blue, then I... I you, you know, and win the London mayoral election, which you, you kind of look at it and you think, well, when you look at London MPs, it's, you know, he, he does have a knack of, of, of winning. And even, you know, people refer back to some of his, you know, his early issues around journalism and being sacked. And he always comes back in one form or another. So I'm not certain he'd come back as prime minister again. I, I think, I'm not even sure that he'd want to, but I I don't expect him to go quietly into the good night. No. Okay. So, obviously, the the ensuing um, leadership um, election. So when it got down to five, from the I forget how many there were at the start, um, but actually when it got down to the five, Rishi uh, Rishi Sunak and um, and Liz Truss were fourth and fifth choices with the with the members, um, not so with the with the parliament uh, with the parliamentary party. Is this a sign that the election process for Conservative leader is is isn't fit for purpose? And what might you change if not? Um, I think it dragged on much uh, much too long. If I'm honest, it seems to seem to go on for an absolute eternity. I, I would have liked to have seen um, more um, more of the candidates uh, put before the party to make that decision. I think uh, it, it came across to me very much that there was an element of, um, how can I put it, to probably inappropriate to say smoke-filled corridors in this, this, this day and age where we can't smoke in corridors anymore. Um, but it struck me that there was... a an element of uh, Rishi shifting votes in the parliamentary party over to Liz because he probably felt his chances were better against Liz than they were probably against Penny Morden. Um, 
I would have liked to have seen a choice of three or maybe four candidates go forward to the membership. But having said that, then you end up with a uh, uh, potentially the, the the elected member not having a, a full mandate when it comes to the party leadership. It's a difficult one, really, but certainly the process for me was much too long and drawn out, I think. It, it did seem to go on. It, it was a bit like one of those endless series on Netflix where you think, look, they've, the writers have obviously, for, you know, given up any clue as to what actually is meant to be happening next. Um, and it's just going on and on. Ian, as a as a as a local member that cast a cast a vote in this was your first opportunity to vote in a leadership election. Yeah, yeah, what it was. was. Um, I I joined the party um, after Boris had been elected, but I I, I have looked back over the the previous leadership elections, and and I'll be honest, the, the the process for me isn't fit for purpose. You know, we had the situation where it came down to um, I was going to say Brian May. Then that wouldn't be right at all. That would be the guitarist from Queen, but Theresa May and Andrea Ledson, Ledson withdrew, so it was a coronation, not a vote. Um, and interesting, I was reflecting on it this week, I think Michael Gove came third in that vote, and I think he would have beaten um, Theresa May in a vote with the members. Um, if I look at Boris, it, it was Boris or Jeremy Hunt, you know, and again, the whole mantra of get Brexit done, you know, Jeremy, a uh, a very sort of strong Europhile, not really much of a choice. And I think in this case, um, you know, I, I've been very clear that I, I would have, you know, I would have cast my vote for when we got down to the final five, I, I would have preferred any of the other three over the two that we got on the ballot paper. So I was very, I'm very troubled by the process. And you know, initially, a part of my my voting intention was shaped by the fact that I felt the parliamentary party was trying to engineer the situation where, you know, it was a case of, well, you've got to vote for Rishi because we've put it's it's Rishi or the or the weakest candidate of the five. Um, and, and I there's a bullishness and an awkwardness in me that says well if you try and manipulate me in that way I simply won't do what you're trying to get me to do so um no I'm I'm, I'm very unhappy with the process I think you know I think it, it would have been in this day and age it wouldn't be difficult at all to to put four or five candidates on there and I think if you work with an a single transferable vote where effectively you, you you rank your five in preference order, um, then then I think that that kind of nullifies the risk of somebody not having a full mandate uh, as candidates are eliminated. I see. So you end up with at least, even if it wasn't the majority's first preference, you end up with a winning candidate at least had some support from uh, from the party. Is that is that what you mean? Yeah, it's, it's simple. You start with all five. Can it's almost a little bit what the parliamentary party does, but you do it rather you doing it in rounds. You do it in a one mm. You know, you start with you start with the five. When the fifth place candidate is eliminated, you look at the second choices for all of those candidates' votes. You transfer them to whoever, and effectively you keep going through that process until there's a clear winner. Um, so yeah, I think that I think there are better ways that would actually ensure that the, the the membership gets the gets the 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 style of conservative leader that they genuinely want it's an interesting thought i know that other parties use the stv um, system to um, to elect their leaders so they don't do them in rounds they go straight to um, straight to membership um, i know that's what the lib dems do um, so um, but obviously with the with the last few leadership elections they've had, they haven't exactly been a the quite the breadth of field that you had in the Conservative leadership um, election. So it's not really, it doesn't really kind of come to play when there are only two choices. There's no point really listing them in order of preference. But um, yeah, you know, I, I think the other danger is that the, you you get into the danger that the Labour Party did a few years ago, which is that the the Parliamentary Party was saddled with a leader that they simply didn't feel they could work with and that disconnect between the desire of the membership and the 
desire of the parliamentary party there was there was a gaping chasm there i don't think within the conservative party we, we've got potentially that issue welcome your thoughts simon but i i think there is a risk to that approach your, your thoughts on that simon is there a the labor party quite clearly demonstrated that in the in the corbyn years um, the difference between the parliamentary party and the membership and to a degree that's been evident in for example how the how the um how the uk party the green party dealt with issues like um, standing aside for candidates um, to support candidates that were in favour, for example, of a second referendum, standing aside candidates that um, to help help that situation. Um, you know, for example, in Portsmouth, I know that there was a difference between what the National Party said and what the local uh, what the local supporters did, rather than put their support behind the National Party's quote unquote approved um, measure of support, which would have been the Lib Dem candidate. They put their they went and voted probably for Stephen Morgan, uh, for the Labour candidate, um, who had the greater chance of winning. So, is, is do you think there's an evidence of of a disconnect between the parliamentary party and the and the and the membership, Simon? To to a point, I think there probably is, and you could probably level the same argument at any parliamentary party of whatever political colour. There is a a bit of a disconnect between what happens. Uh, uh, in in Westminster and what actually happens uh, out in the country, because certainly when we uh, the, the two candidates that seemed to be coming through uh, pretty popular with the uh, the rank and file members that I spoke to were Penny, but then again there's an element of uh, of, Paul's, of Portsmouth bias in there, I would imagine. But the other candidate that seemed to come through. Um, very well was uh, Kemi Badenoch. She sort of uh, was the uh, the candidate that nobody really knew, but when it actually came down to it, a lot of people were, were quite engaged with what she actually had to say. Um, we ended up with uh, two candidates who I think were probably uh, instrumental in uh, getting rid of Boris, uh, and it was almost a case of more of the same. Um, probably what depressed me a little bit about the leadership election is the fact that they weren't really talking to the Conservative Party membership. Um, it was more a case they trying to bite lumps out of each other and play higher and higher, which didn't really play well to me uh, as, as, a, as a party voter uh, and having a, a, a particular role in that. But certainly Penny and Kemi were, were very popular amongst the uh, the rank and file members, and it would have been good to have seen one or or both of those um, in that particular field that the membership could have had voted on, and we might end, we might have a completely different scenario in number ten on that basis. Yeah, it's an interesting thing of the the path not travelled, isn't it? And where it's where it's ended. It is. <laughs> Um, an interesting comment just to um, just to chuck in there. So Owen's uh, Owen in the comments has um, uh, said that he's um, he's a red, not a blue in politics and in football, but would like to take the opportunity to tell Simon that uh, what a wonderful teacher is um, his mother was um, to him as a child. So um, there we go. Uh, thank you very much, Owen. Owen's probably showing his age because my mum will be eighty-eight uh, next month, and she's probably been retired now. Uh, for what well over twenty years. Right. Okay. Well, um, we've certainly left a mark on Owen then, um, in all the nicest, uh, <laughs> nice, in the nicest ways. Um, and Phil also joins in as another party uh, paid-up party member. Perhaps we should have left it to the parliamentary party. Have read several articles since Boris left that mention other MPs knew exactly what he was um, like. Uh, unlike the membership, perhaps I voted for him and have lived to regret it. Thankfully, I can't say the same for Liz as I voted for Rishi. However, the candidate I wanted was Penny, sensible, service background and um, and trustworthy. So, um, it, yeah, I, I think that's a, you know, that's a, another good view from the um, from the local membership there from Phil. So thank you. Thank you, Phil and Owen, both for your your contributions. So um, so let's have a look at the. At our, at our next question then so so Liz um, Liz won 57% of the vote of the Conservative members um, and has chosen mostly supporters for her cabinet positions do you think she's got a strong enough mandate to unite the party because that seems to be what's needed 
Um, I, I think I think she did until we had the top rate of tax uh, being removed, which I don't think played out particularly well. Um, with regards to putting her supporters in the cabinet, well, I think that's what most leaders uh, actually do. And you could you could go back to, I mean, I appreciate they were in opposition, but certainly with with Jeremy Corbyn getting elected, one of his his first roles was to put John McDonald in as his uh, as his chancellor, who has the same sort of political thinking and is one of Jeremy's biggest supporters. So I think I think they will always do that. I think uh, uh, that's so that they're all on the same page and working as a team. And I and I would have expected that to have actually happened. But uniting the party. Um, well, I think I think that's always going to be a challenge for any leader of any political party. There, there are going to be factions within political parties that have slightly differing views, and it, uh, and any leader is going to face that challenge internally. I don't think uh, the political party or the Conservatives in this particular instance are unique in that. Okay, thank you, Ian. Any thoughts on that one? Yeah, my 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 view was. I, I, I journeyed in hope, I think, would be where, uh, where, you know, I got to. So, so from a personal perspective, I, you know, I looked at the two candidates and, and wasn't wildly keen on either. So um, the first time, probably in a, ever possibly, I, I, I went and decided to have a listen to Liz firsthand down at a meeting that, that Penny hosted down in Southsea. And I, you know, I, I recognise that in certain aspects, you know, Liz was playing to the crowd, you know, it was a Conservative Party event. So, you know, you are probably going to be pointing a little further right than than centre. Um, but ultimately, you know, with the, the things that she spoke of and the policies that she articulated, you know, I felt I was able to go from being a, well, I'm going to vote for Liz because you can't make me vote for Rishi, to, to somebody that made an active choice as somebody who I felt could draw the party together, particularly, you know, if she was going to bring people like Penny into her top table um, to, to, to really kind of almost create a, a cabinet of talent rather than necessarily um the, the 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 people who have been most loyal i i absolutely acknowledge what simon says at the end of the day you know politics is a dirty game and you're not going to invite someone to sit at your top table if they're sat there putting a keen edge on their backstabbing knife but i i felt strongly that she she did have a mandate to to bring the party together and to create you know a a very different vision and a, and a different tone to the previous administration i'll be honest that i i felt i felt very quickly within two weeks um what what i had hoped for had, had started to be either badly eroded dented or um yeah i was i was concerned with the the some of the directions that she was taking okay so does that mean that the the uniting the party is a harder thing now I, I think so because I think you, you know it's, you know the Conservative Party is a broad church. I know, you know, online it's very easy to and regularly we are tarred with an enormously wide brush. But you know there are different viewpoints. The axis of you know authoritarian versus libertarian is is very writ large amongst party members. So I think it, it's never the easiest job. But I think the I think one of the things the party's been very good at is you know, it is when, when we get something that we can work with, uniting behind a leader and pushing forward, I think is, um, you know, is something that historically we've been pretty good at, prov provided it's something that, you know, we individually you feel you can put your name to. Okay. So speaking of the, um, you, you, you said that you went to, uh, you went to the speech um, in Southsea. So no more handouts was a, was one of the key messages in Liz Truss's election uh, campaign. In light of the energy interventions and tax cuts um, in the mini fiscal event, um, would you what would you what would you say to a fiscal conservative who who supported her? How are you? Because you're quite you're quite clearly a um, me you're self described oh, yeah. as a fiscal as a fiscal conservative. So how how does that 
Well, how does that land with you? That's a horrible question. I don't know who wrote that. But, you um, did. I, I, yeah, I know. I'm now going to have to deal with it. It's, it's, it's nowhere near as good a question as it was when I wrote it. But um, no, I, as, as a fiscal conservative, I, I'm pretty angry, if I'm honest, because I think there is an element of, for, for me, with some of the interventions, that they're, they're, you know, it, it's about populism. It, it, it's not about doing the right thing and what needs to be done. Yeah, and and actually, I think it is, I I think it is a futile exercise. I, I you know, again, and and I've had discussions in the past about the the amount of financial and fiscal intervention there was during um, the pandemic, and many people have said, well, you know, if we didn't, we, you know, you you had to do and you had to spend and you, and and maybe that's true, and maybe it's not. But ultimately, I think there is an element of what that's demonstrated and was demonstrated even more by the energy tariff, um, and it's not a cap, but the, the intervention, was that it doesn't matter how much money you throw at the public, at the electorate, it, it, it isn't going to, you know, there, there's an element of, you know... It, People will say, well, I don't agree with that, but I'll take that off you anyway. And there is no credit to be gained from it. So for me, this 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 approach to if there's enough noise in the press, we'll just throw 60, 90 billion, however much at it, I, I think is a is a really poor way to govern. And, you know, for, for me, it, it it is not the it's not the responsible fiscal conservative position that that is is where i'm at but yeah i've got fairly strong views on that i'll throw it over to simon now really it was a, a kinder yeah, and, and nicer individual than me I, I really wish you would come off the fence on that one ian um, yeah, yeah. so simon is someone that has to get elected at some point um <laughs> what do you have to say on that <laughs> i've got i've got another uh, another three and a half years before i have to worry about so you're that. right so you're, you're, okay. will have improved by by then um I think I think when you're looking at uh, the role of government, when you're looking at extenuating circumstances, and I think we've we've had a bit of a perfect storm, what with the with the pandemic, um, and, and then subsequently the uh, the invasion of Ukraine by the Russian state, both of those are are creating a scenario which are pushing up energy prices and creating what people are calling the cost of living crisis. Um, I, I'm a fiscal conservative in so much that I believe in lower taxation, but it's, it's, to a certain degree, it's got to be when the timing is right to actually do it. Um, and I think with the 45 degree tax, that probably isn't the right time to do it, because I think it sends out the wrong particular message. Um, but certainly with the, with the energy price cap, if that's what we want to call it, I don't think that's going to win the Conservatives any favours in the long term uh, in, in, in any shape or form, because, as Ian said, I quite happily take your money, but I don't I don't actually agree with it. And I think to a certain degree, we, we need to look at uh, seeing what sort of taxes we could uh, actually reduce. And it would be nice to have seen something more about the lower end. I mean, I know we're reversing the, the national insurance hike, which is probably a good move uh, in that respect. But certainly with regards to... Um, the energy price cap um it was probably the right decision at this moment in time i think um but in the longer term we need to get stability into the financial markets and start bringing the inflation rate down at the same time it's an interesting because someone that styles themselves as a disruptor at a time when what the markets and, in, and indeed the public are looking for is perhaps stability is that look it's going to be okay um is an interesting is an interesting strategy and is is that maybe what what the kind of reaction was about is the disruption at a point where people are uncertain is that perhaps what's kind of driven the response do you think i think there's a degree of uncertainty but i, I again i think removing the the 45p uh, 45p tax was probably the wrong thing to do at this moment in time i mean the amount of uh uh, the, the cost of actually doing that was pretty minimal when you consider the rest of the packages, but the media focused in on that particular one. The opposition parties 
seized on it uh, with their sort of like tax breaks for the rich, but everybody else is still in the same boat they always were. And I think that sent out the wrong messages. There was a good package of, of measures there in other areas, but it became it became the single distractor uh, all the way through. And then we ended up with a reversal of that particular decision. And we also ended up, unfortunately, in a situation where it was uh, uh, all of a sudden it was the Chancellor's decision and the Prime Minister wasn't aware of it. And I don't think that played out particularly well. You know, being, being there for a month and already throwing your Chancellor under the bus, not, not a great start. Yeah, it was a, it was an interesting way to start a conference um, uh, for Liz Trust. I, I do still, I do it still. Wasn't, um, it wasn't pretty. Um, I do still wonder that, considering that the Lib Dems cancelled their conference because of it clashed with the mourning period for uh, for Her Majesty uh, Queen Elizabeth II. Um, that actually, despite them cancelling their conference, the best thing that could possibly happen to them was the Conservative conference. I'm not sure that anything that would have happened at the Lib Dem conference would have done as much for Lib Dem votes as what happened at the Conservative conference. Is that, or am I just being cheeky? I think pre-conference, you might, you, you've probably got a case. I think there's an element of, and and you know, to that 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 45, the the, the cut in the 45p tax rate for me was just, I I I, I just sat there flabbergasted, because you know it. It wasn't just an an own goal, you know. It was it it was it was a it was a hat trick of own goals in one policy, you know. Any anybody who's earning more than one hundred and fifty thousand um, pounds, you know, a, an extra four, five, six hundred to you know multiple thousands per month in their take home pay, isn't going to make a material difference to them. So, you know, I, I absolutely, and as Simon hinted there, you know, if you've, if you've got two billion to chuck around, r raise the personal tax threshold, um, because then anybody who earns less than 100K is going to benefit from that. And, you know, those that earn more than 100K pay their personal tax threshold back when they hit 100K. So, you, 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 you know, the optics of, of, you know the 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 45p tax rate was 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 just farcical and and i and again this is where for me it's the head in the hands moment where you know oh when the chancellor stood up i didn't know he was going to cut the 45p rate and and it does worry me in terms of i i haven't found anybody of any political persuasion who's been able to even give me the Ah yes, but it was a good idea to cut that because. But it's it's not even a plausible answer. I haven't heard anybody try and justify it. And as Simon rightly points out, you know there were some really big, positive growth messages in there. But it was always going to get drowned out by the. Worst tax breaks for the for rich and it's looking after their mates and it's what they're all at and you just I just sat there I wanted to weep. So to save you from your tears, then let's let's try to take a um, let's try to take a, a a more positive angle then on the on the fiscal event. Um, so what parts of the fiscal of the fiscal statement were good for Portsmouth, um, and is there any that you'd you'd have changed? other than the ones that we've discussed, obviously, to thinking specifically of Portsmouth? I don't think I would necessarily changed any, but certainly around uh, the, the, the messages around growth were, were very positive. Portsmouth is looking at uh, a free port and now we're, we're doing, uh, doing it, looking at, looking at it from a, a, an investment zone point of view, which some are describing as a free port on steroids. So that sort of investment coming into the city is going to be a positive thing and that's certainly something that we're looking to to build on i mean we've also got things like um the delivery of major infrastructure projects um obviously we're going through the local plan and uh, i'll use the two words titner west for, for for tuesday which is going to be an interesting debate but certainly portsmouth is on the up um uh, in, a, in a lot of respects. Um, there's a lot of exciting things actually happening with major developments in the city. 
and certainly the uh, the introduction of things like the investment zones, which we're well on the way to actually being involved in, uh, are just going to benefit Portsmouth uh, significantly going forward. So certainly the messages around growth are there for us to actually capitalise on it. Um, and really, so I appreciate we have a Liberal Democrat administration there. But I think when it comes to to growth and benefiting the city, I think that all the political parties are probably on very similar wavelengths. Okay. Um, Ian, was there anything that you would have, you think is particularly good or want to change? Yeah, just, just yeah, I, I, I kind of echo that, which is that, you know, ultimately you, you can't tax your way to prosperity. You know, you we're, we're in a situation where, you know, if we look at the if if we look at the whole equation, if we can, you know, if the policies and they are they are brave, if they can get that economic stimulus in Portsmouth, for me, the more good jobs we have in Portsmouth, you know, even to the point of view of you've only got to stand by the M275 or London Road and just see how many people are driving out of Portsmouth every morning to go and work somewhere else. So for me, any investment we can bring to the city, which, you know, it brings a green dividend if people can, can you know, work closer to where they live, um, you know, decent pay, people spend it close to where they live. You know, it, it is that stimulating growth in the economy, particularly within a city like Portsmouth, is, is, is uh, it, it's such, you know, it's such a positive move and it, it, it will just, you know, it's the stimulus that we need. You, you can't, you, you can't improve things just by keep cutting costs and, and increasing taxes. Okay. Um, thank you very much. So, um, so thinking of um, thinking of kind of polling polling responses, um, the political poll of polls, sorry, Politico poll of polls. Try saying that when you're drunk. Um, puts uh, puts Labour twenty three points ahead of the Conservatives. There were obviously other. That's a average of the poll of all of the other polls that have been out. Others have said a much starker uh, distance or much starmer distance between them. They might say. Um, is there still time to turn it around before the next GE, as long as someone doesn't have the crazy idea of going for an early general election, Simon? Uh, I don't think anybody's going to go for an early general election, if I'm honest. Uh, Liz Truss is going to want to shape things in, in her image uh, going forward. She has actually impressed me uh, over the years. I mean, uh, I, I've seen her giving, giving speeches in the past, um, uh, there's one of them that regularly pops up on have I got news to you news for you about opening up new port markets which keeps uh, getting uh, recycled but actually she has developed into a a pretty decent uh, orator uh, when it comes to it so I think she's got to be given that little bit of time so I don't think we're going to have an early general election with regards to closing the gap absolutely I think uh, it's it's all to play for there I mean Keir Starmer hasn't impressed me and I think he's getting dissent from within his own party. We're beginning to see more noise around the momentum wing of the Labour Party. So I think I think we're in for 18 months potentially of, of Keir Starmer actually having to, to step up and deliver something because certainly I've not seen anything from him to suggest that he is a, a credible alternative uh, at this precise moment in time. So I think we can overturn that 23% deficit. Would we uh, have the same sort of majority uh, in a general election in a couple of years' time? I suspect that having been in power for, what, uh, 12 years, 14 years now, um, that we might see a reduced majority, but I'm fully expecting to see another Conservative majority next time. Okay. Um, Ian? Yeah, my thoughts are God bless Angela Rayner. <laughs> she um, does help too, <laughs> because because you know, Kia. If you just listen to what he says, you know, for me sometimes he he, he sounds more and more credible, without actually putting forward too many policies or any real substance. But you know, the the guy is a QC. He 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 speaks eloquently, and and he, you know, he he presents a centre left option the interesting thing is that his the you know quite a, a, a sizable chunk of his party 
considers adopting a centre-left set of policies to be a betrayal of socialist purity and and you know are ready to throw him under the bus at, at the first opportunity and i think often when angela rayner speaks you 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 hear the the you know you see the the wolf in the sheep's clothing and i think at that point it, it you know it does gladden me to think that there is 18 months to turn this around. I think it is going to be a significant turnaround. But I also look at it and, you know, the boots on the other foot at the moment. When, you know, Boris got the 80-seat majority, the, 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 the pundits and the political commentators, you know, were very clear that Labour will not reverse an 80-seat majority inside one term of Parliament. You know, they were adamant at the time. And if there was a general election tomorrow... Um, they would have turned it round in 60% of a parliament because they would win a sizable election. But I think as we get closer to the the election proper, I think that people will start to consider, um, you know, we'll have to consider very carefully, you know, is the Labour Party a credible alternative? And, you know, once they're, you know, if they were fortunate enough to win the the, the, the keys to number 10, you know, would you get a centre-left Labour Party? Or at that point, would, you know, all of the momentumites swarm from the dark corners and, and we would have the the socialist financial massacre that that anybody who's old enough to remember um, the late 70s, um, it, would, it feels like it would be a rerun of that. So, you know, it, it, it's an element of, I think we've got a hell of a job and I think, you know there is a there, there's a lot of work to be done to to rebuild some of the trust that we've lost over the last um, couple of years. But I I I don't think we're I don't think we're dead yet. Okay. Well, we shall see. Obviously, over the over the next couple of years. Um, okay. So um, regardless of what happens with the next general election, that's a couple of years away, and unless, unless someone does something really crazy, like um, but as Simon said, that's exceedingly unlikely um so we know that we've still got local elections um coming along in may um so what's the the key messaging messaging or what should the key messaging be locally to persuade voters to stick with or to give their support to the conservatives Simon? well we've got a, a very strong team at, c- at council level uh an awful lot of talent uh in our particular group um we're going to continue to hold the Liberal Democrat administration to uh, to account. I think we will do what we will normally do, and that is concentrate on local issues for local people. Um, it, it's always been a strong message, certainly when it comes down to to the council elections. People aren't thinking about necessarily what's happening in Westminster, although having said that, they did last time because of Partygate, but generally people are, are interested in the services that they engage with from the city council, the bins being collected, uh, you know, the, the street lights working, and those sorts of issues. It's going to be those sorts of issues that we're chiming into. We're already out and about across uh, a lot of the wards in the city putting our message across, but I think one of the key issues is going to be the budget next May, uh, sorry, uh, for next May, the budget in February, because certainly the messages that that we are getting from officers is that we are going to have a a financial black hole that has been created. Um, Certainly some of the spending ideas that the Liberal Democrats have gone down the line with. And I think that's actually going to chime going forward because I think we're facing some cuts in various areas to pay for some of their vanity projects. I think that's going to be the interesting thing. But, the, but we also have essentially a, a, a three-party system, uh, well, even a four-party system now with, uh, with uh, the ports of the independent party going forward into the local election. So I think it's going to be very hard fought. And it's those, those messages that can actually chime with, with your immediate neighbours uh, that are actually going to get people across the line, I think. But we will be looking at it from, uh, as we always do, the local messages affecting local people. Okay, thanks. Ian, what would you like to see as the as the message for May? 
Yeah, I think it's I, I think it's going to be a challenge. It, last May was was very clearly, you know, there there were a number of there were a number of votes cast which were were clearly none of the above. Um, you know, there was a very strong protest vote. I think there is an element of in terms of holding the administration to account that there is an element of uh, ultimately if you if you vote yellow red or purple um you you're not going to hold the administration to account because you know that the the whatever however you choose to describe the arrangement that 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 exists between the lib dems and portsmouth labor you know portsmouth labor spends a lot of its year attacking the the administration you know berates the lib dems and then when all the votes are cast the next day he says you fancy a leg up back into um back into running the city to which the lib dems nod and say yes please and and we round we go again so i i think you know the the the, the local conservative team have got to focus very strongly on on that local message and about providing real kind of opposition um I think it will be a challenge because I think for those that are perhaps more politically disengaged, they they will look at the national issues. And but you know they say a week's a long time in in politics. We've got seven months till those local elections, and um, you know, plenty of time to 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 get a message out. But I think it is, you know, the focus has really got to be on on the fact that the you know at that local level. It's you know it's it's what are you voting for in terms of you know making sure that there there is scrutiny of the administration and particularly if you know as Simon has outlined you know if there there are going to be tough decisions to be made you you want to make sure your voice is represented. Okay, so um, this should hopefully be quite an easy one. So. Should the government be spending fifteen million pounds telling people how to use less less electricity and gas? Um, considering that's something that Ofgem and the energy regulator and energy suppliers indeed already spend money telling people how to use less. Is that something that the government should get involved in, Simon? Well, there's always going to be public information. My understanding was that they're, that they're rowing back on this particular one, uh, from what I've seen today, um, and not actually going forward with it. Um, but I think the messages uh, need to be need to be out there, um, and it doesn't always necessarily come from um, those sorts of organisations, because a lot of this is actually going to be driven by the mainstream media in that respect, um, and certainly. Um, I, I would look at it and say that anything that can be done to actually promote it um, would be a, a good move. Um, but it depends whether you, you end up uh, teaching people to suck eggs, in all honesty. Um, some of the messages uh, can be a little bit uh, perhaps condescending if we're not careful um, to a lot of people. I mean, I, I'm taking my own... Um, uh, initiatives with a lot of things I do around my home just to make sure I've not even put my my home heating on yet I don't see any necessity for it I'm sitting there wearing a hoodie um, as much as anything else and I think it's about getting the messages out but making sure that the messages are are the right messages that that, that actually chime and make people think but certainly it is a government responsibility I mean I'm not quite going back to all the public information films of the 70s shall we say uh, I remember an awful lot of those, but I think we should be around uh, promoting it and make, stopping, making people stop and think uh, as much as anything else. Okay. Ian, something the government should be involved in? No. <laughs> um, at the end of the day, I, I, I really struggle with some of this. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we're all grown-ups. And I... I uh, if we've come so far as a society where the government has to tell you to put a jumper on if you're cold to save you money, I, 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 I do worry. And I think this is where we've, you know, in terms of the role of government and, you know, is there a, you know, how much is the government's responsibility and how much is personal responsibility? I think, I think we have, we have that pendulum has swung too far you know I, I i heard it during lockdown 
well, you know, if the if the government, if the ministers can't respect lockdown, then then you know, why should we? Well, because you don't want to catch COVID and die. That's why you should do it, not because the government has told you, but because you want to take personal responsibility, either for yourself or for the people that you're close to. And I think that you know, when we look at this, you know, the energy crisis, the the you know the the hints and tips. You know, if the government sends you a leaflet, are you going to read it? No. You know, I know there are certain factions that love a leaflet. I'm looking your way, Mr. Sansbury. But how many get read and how many get put in the bin? So, yeah, the media has well, a get me part to play. That. You know, it. no, no. But, you know, again, a nice bar graph. See you, it right. Um, you I beat me is... to it. Or is it racing... Racing horses is the other one, isn't it? With only so much, only so and so can win here. Okay, okay. There's a, there's only one horse yep. in this race. Yep. Okay, but anyway, we'll we'll, we'll step back from tag yeah. teaming uh, wow. the host. Um, so yeah, no, for me, Simon, it, it, it's very clear. At the end of the day, these things are not difficult, and I think the media can play a part by rather than going, "We'll all be dead by Christmas," you know. I, I think there is very much a, you know, ultimately what you can do you know you don't have to a, a very quick google search will give you lots and lots of ideas as to as to how you can reduce your energy consumption and it's not just about cost you know, at the end of the day we have been talking for a long time about our energy consumption and being greener um and if perhaps you know people take a bit more personal responsibility and and use less that doesn't seem to me to be a bad thing, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure the government telling you is going to make that much of a difference. You are right to a certain degree. I'm, I'm sure that they they pulled it, didn't uh, Nadine Zahawi on Laura Kunzberg this morning saying that they were not going to go forward with this uh, 15 million pound scheme this morning. I think. Uh, yeah. What? Um, so. Uh, how this came to light was it was a scheme that um, Jacob Rees-Mogg, that well-known campaigner for uh, for environmental causes, um, had um, had basically signed off, uh, but that the PM basically nixed it and said, "No, we're not we're not doing that." Um, and I must admit, so for me, the interesting angle was that on one hand, it's the well, hang on a minute, you can't pretend that there isn't an issue, but on the other hand. Are the people that need to hear this message going to listen to it coming from the government? And is there already, are, are there other avenues by which this sort of information already goes out? And it, and it does by Ofgem and energy suppliers are obligated to keep telling you how to, ways to basically use less of their product, which is um, quite interesting. Um, so in, in that respect, and also all of the news about energy prices, is if, if that doesn't motivate people to find ways to use less of it, I don't know quite what, I don't know whether a leaflet from her Majesty, sorry, His Majesty's government is going to convince people to turn off the lights as they leave the room. No. So I, I must admit, I thought it was an easy media war in the sense of it was a kind of like confected outrage. But in the other sense, actually, when you look at it, is that really something the government should be into? But I thought it was a, a very small but interesting example of, is this a demonstration of the sort of small government that Liz Truss favours? In the sense of that's not something the government needs to be involved with, so we won't do it. No, I, I think I think it is exactly that, Simon. I think there is an element of, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the the the, the if you look at the fiscal, you know, leaving aside the the top rate of tax, it, it, the whole conservative mantra is about, you know, people working hard, earning their money, keeping more of their money that they earn. And spending it to stimulate the economy, and you know, at the end of the day, it, it, it is an element of, of it, it's about trusting people to be grown-ups with that, and and I, I think that 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 for me, if that is the way we continue to go as a as a government, I will be, I will be very happy. Um, in terms of that lighter touch rather than trying to smother Well, if people. there's less competition for leaflet printing, it'll be cheaper for Lib Dems to print more leaflets, I guess. So um, so our last question then. Um, Please not. <laughs> <laughs> so Penny was a, was a favourite um, among uh, members to lead, but unfortunately, um, however you might interpret the... Um, 
the arranging of of events uh, by the parliamentary party. Um, she just outside of of making it to the to the final two this time, but it'd be a, like you said a sliding doors moment if she'd have been in the final two. Do you think it's a good or a bad thing that for Portsmouth that she didn't win this time? And I say this time because I'm sure we'll we'll see more from Penny. I think I think the short answer to that is it's a little bit of both in in all honesty. Um, uh, it, it, it's certainly a, on the one hand it's it's a, a, a good thing for Portsmouth it's because she is clearly uh, very much a constituency MP. I mean, uh, you know, she was at the uh, the party conference last week, but come Thursday, I was at a, a meeting with her in in Cossum. Uh, with with Southern Water and a public meeting with an awful lot of residents, and she was back there. She's been out and about at the Mountbatten Centre and Hillsley over the weekend, so she is uh, very much a constituency MP. So, on the one thing, uh, it's uh, perhaps uh, a good thing that she didn't get there because Portsmouth uh, benefits from her being a constituency MP. But on the other hand, it's probably a bad thing because. Had she become the prime minister, uh, because I think I, I've got no doubt she'd been in the final two, she probably would have won. Then it would have put Portsmouth on the map, and and I think there would have been some some wholesale investment in there uh, in there coming into Portsmouth, which no doubt Stephen Morgan would have tried to have uh, claimed as his own. Um, How, outrageous! How dare you? <laughs> everybody loves a selfie, eh, Steve? Um, <laughs> But, but certainly so i think i think it's mixed blessings because you can see the pros and cons for it from both sides but but penny's been out all over the constituency over the last week after the party conference uh and that's what people like to see with a with a constituency mp and and obviously if you become the prime minister that time is somewhat limited so the benefits perhaps come in other directions so i'm going to park my backside firmly on the fence on that one but i'm okay. sure she will come again I don't doubt that for a second. Okay. Um, Ian, Portsmouth's gain the country's loss? I'm, hope, I'm hoping it's a sturdy fence because I'm going to join Simon <laughs> on it. I, slightly different reasons. I think, I think you know, there is an element of, of Penny works very hard. I've, I've worked with her on a couple of things, found her very engaging and, and, and very genuine. And so I think, you know, there, there would be an element of... The, the ability simply to do that work locally would be compromised. Um, I actually think that, that that now is a really, really tough gig. Um, there, there is a mood, possibly post-pandemic and then with the, the Ukrainian effect as well, that, that people are very unhappy and are very angry. And I think it is a, it, it's a really tough time to pull everything together and i think that i think penny would would have done a a fine job in doing that but i think it is a it, it is a really tough ask at the moment so I, I think she will be back um i would expect her to become at some point leader of the party and prime minister um but maybe now isn't isn't the best time to be uh to be stood right at the front so um yeah i i think on balance I'm kind of okay that that she didn't win this time, even though I would have preferred her to the other candidates. Okay, well, thank you both uh, for that. Thank you um, very much to um, to all of our viewers who um, joined in with their with their comments. Thank you to um, Owen and Phil. Uh, some great contributions there. Uh, really enjoyed that. Um, you've been listening to the Pompey Politics podcast. I've been Simon Sandsbury, and our and our guest has been Simon Bosher. Um, and we hoodwinked Ian Tiny Morris, guest rather than a presenter. I thought the presenter was very good this week. Very good. <laughs> well, thank you very much. That's good. I, I shall um, deserve a pay rise. Any percentage pay rise of zero is still yeah. zero, right? I, th I think we're going to have. I think we're going to have to turn it around, guys, and uh, get Simon to defend the Lib Dem administration next okay. time round. Okay. Well, we'll see. I'll bring. I'll bring my best bar chart, and, sit and we'll see how it goes. So we'll have at it. Um, but um, yeah, so do join us next week, six twenty-seven uh, p.m. when we'll be uh, we'll be talking uh, about the uh, the full council. Um, so an interesting full council coming up on Tuesday. 
um, which will um, with some several subjects. Tip the West was one of them, um, which um, which Simon had mentioned. So that's in there, um, as well as a report with regarding the options to the continuing use of the civic offices for the council, um, and the Milton neighbourhood report, as well as. We like to talk about things local. Um, we quite rightly get um, held to account sometimes for not talking about enough local things. And one of the other items on the agenda is you don't get more local than deciding where polling stations are in polling districts um, across the city. So um, that's one of the interesting things there. So uh, thank you very much uh, to our guest, uh, Simon Bosher. You've been um, watching the Pompey Politics podcast. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. If you want to make sure you get notifications about upcoming shows and get to know when we're live, we normally broadcast live 6.27pm on a Sunday evening, then follow us on Facebook at Pompey Politics Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pompey Politics One. Please, if you'd like to, feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can even ask Alexa to play the podcast for you. Alexa. Play the latest episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. Getting Pompey Politics Podcast from Amazon Music. Alexa. Play the latest episode. Stop. See? It's easy.